Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the awesomemo.com strategy show for the NFL for the Saturday slate. Bit of a change up this week. We've got some Saturday games. We had two last week. We got three on the slate this week. Different kind of a week for the NFL. A lot of action spread all over the place. But uh, Saturday, we should have a nice, fun slate of games on tap. I've got Kyle Dvorak here with me. Here to break down everything across the entire slate for those three games. Really get into, uh, help you guys win some uh, GPP money. Kyle, how you doing, buddy? Not bad. I'm actually seeing if I can get uh, the top stack tool for this game in my DMs from Alex right now. So hopefully we can give a little exclusive information because we usually have top stacks for the main slate. You know, there are not a ton of games on this slate. But if I can get that, give the give the viewers or listeners, if you're listening to this after it comes out, a little bit of uh, a little bit of insider info, I think that'd be cool. So I'll see if I can get him to send it to me. Right on. Yeah, I saw that you popped that into our Slack before the show. That was a really good idea. That's an invaluable tool. If you guys out there aren't using it, uh, you know, just for building lineups, get in there. It shows you Alex's breakdown of what the top, the most uh, likely team to be the top stack of the week, the top scoring stack is, and then each team by quarterback ownership so that you can figure out where the leverage on those different stacks is. Fantastic tool. I use it constantly when I'm building lineups, when I put my groups together for my groups article. So I think it's just invaluable. Kyle, I made a note. You're pulling double duty today. I tried to catch your Twitter when Lafie said it this morning, but uh, I think it's Kyle tweets here. Is that right? That would be correct. All right, everybody get out there and follow Kyle on Twitter. That's uh, that's his handle. I'm at DigitalB21 if anybody wants to follow me. I blast my uh, weekly articles out on there and then don't say very much otherwise. Maybe a retweet here and there for these guys. So, uh, Kyle, I figure best way to go through everything now. Uh, oh, before we get into that, guys, make sure you hit the like out there for us, the little thumbs up down there, and subscribe both here on uh, YouTube and everywhere you listen to podcasts. We're putting all the different shows out, as everything except for the Live Before Locks out as podcasts. So those are available on all your favorite podcast channels. So get out there and subscribe for us. Helps us out a lot. Uh, Kyle, I figured best way to get into this, uh, we've only got three games to talk about, kind of a lot of time, so just figure maybe we go game by game, kind of just break down uh, the slate from that perspective and uh, just see what we got, and since everything's kind of uh, staggered through the day with one game going off at a time, it makes it pretty easy and uh, makes sense to go that route, so first game we've got on tap, 
Tampa Bay at Detroit. We've got uh, Tampa coming in with a nine and a half point as the nine and a half point favorite. 53 point total, highest total on the board for the day is the first game. Uh, and we've got 31 and a half point implied total for Tampa, 21 and a half for Detroit. Tampa's the biggest favorite on the board, uh, most likely team to score a lot of points. But it's a spot where, you know, maybe the game script gets, aw- gets away after they score a little bit and they just start socking it away, running the ball and, uh, you know, playing some defense. This Detroit team, just atrocious uh, defensively. Tampa, very solid defensive squad. So, uh, you know, we know what we're getting into there. What do you like from just kind of before we get into uh, positions and players? Uh, what do you like just as far as a 50,000-foot view of this game? What are you, Any thoughts? I mean, like you said, this total makes it look like, I mean, almost the the game of the week. There are a few other games on the entire like week as a whole, let alone this tiny little slate with as high of a total. I believe it and uh, depending on where you look, basically it and Kansas City are tied for second outside of that. Uh, was that like the Christmas Green Bay uh, game? When is that? I don't know. So I think this is the obvious. It's it's so hard to remember all this scheduling stuff. Maybe that's a prime. That's the primetime game on Sunday. God, I don't know. There's too many games this week. Especially yeah, the way the NBA coming back and everything. I mean, it's, it's just my my brain is just mush at this point. So I had yeah. these three games as a focus, and I have no idea what else is going on. Yeah. So, but I mean, on the week, you would argue this is one of the best games. Let alone when you narrow down your scope to what we're doing on this tiny slate. And I think the most interesting thing is that because on the Tampa Bay side, we have three receivers that are going to be difficult to parse through who you want to play, and and a tight end, maybe even a backup tight end, honestly. And then I, I honestly don't know why on the Detroit. Side, we're not seeing as much ownership as I think we should be. This looks like it's just going to be relatively modest ownership compared to it being the obvious spot. So I think there are a lot of across positions places to attack this game that uh, I just don't think are going to be as owned as they should be, frankly. Yeah, it seems like even though it's going to be you know a somewhat popular spot and it's one of the more appealing targets on the game, I do agree with you. I think there are places where we can kind of tuck in and find some value, some lower on plays that make sense and do have the upside to uh, to break through on this slate. So definitely uh, a good spot to look at. Just getting into things here, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, the defense there on the injury front. Uh, we've got uh, Ronald Jones unlikely to play for Tampa. That tees up, you know, good spot for Lenny Fournette. Looks like he's going to be pretty popular. He was coming up a ton for me when I crunched some lineups. On the Detroit side, we've got uh, Stafford is banged up. He's Says he's going to tough it out. They say they're not going to shut him down for the season. We saw him come out after the game got away the last time Chase Daniel came in, but uh, says he's going to go. Uh, he's going to be without Kenny Galladay again. Their whole line is banged up. Just seems like a terrible spot to even risk him, but uh, he wants to be out there. So, yeah, any other uh, any other key injuries or anything like that? And uh, any thoughts on what those injuries might do as far as distribution of t- targets and touches? Yeah, I think he wrapped up all the injuries we have. And I I mean, I agree. I'm on the same side as you that logically it makes no sense for Julio Jones, any of the Chargers, uh, Matthew Stafford. These guys are all playing on teams that were done three weeks ago. None of them should be playing. But I mean, football players are just, you know, MF and warriors. And even if they have broken ribs and torn cartilage and ligaments falling out of their brains, like they're they're probably going to play. So assuming Stafford does end up playing. Yeah, like I think he'll be a good play. Sure, you run the risk that maybe he comes out in the fourth quarter, but like he probably had to play poorly to put them in a position where they are for sure not going to win in the fourth quarter. So I think even then that's probably an overblown risk. Like if they're losing 17 to 35 in the final minutes, those final minutes weren't going to save your terrible Stafford lineup anyway. So I wouldn't really worry about that, even though it is a possibility he probably already lost by then. Yeah, I th- I totally agree with you. He's going to have that game or he, in that situation, he would be, 
so far behind points wise that it wouldn't even matter to you. So yeah, there's, there's no real point in worrying about that. And Stafford's a guy, despite you know the the way the year's gone for the Lions, he's a guy I don't mind getting to. Uh, and I think there are you know some workable pieces in this passing game. I think Hawkinson's kind of interesting on the tight end side. We can get into him a little bit. Um, and then you know of course Marvin is uh, Marvin sitting there, Marvin Jones. Uh, so. I like getting to him. He's a guy who flashes that big game upside from time to time for us a couple times a year. It gets a little thin after that, but they've got DeAndre Swift in there at the running back uh, as well. And then, uh, you know, ageless uh, Adrian Peterson. So what do we want to do? Do you want to get into any of the Detroit running game at all, or is it more about the passing game on uh, on the Detroit side of things? I, honestly, I, I, you know, I hate to jump the gun here, but all of Detroit, frankly, is like, you know, we have two more games to talk about, but I think this is where I'm going to be most over the field on, given that it's the game of the week. Like you said, I mean, Detroit has been an egregious NFL team, but they've been able to put up points on the board. It's like we saw last week was the perfect example. I think the Millie Maker winner featured multiple Detroit players because, sure, they lost that game, but they were in an overall great scoring environment. And they generally do have fairly predictable pieces. Marvin Jones has dominated the work with Kenny Galladay out. And I don't think he's technically been ruled out, but he wasn't practicing again on Wednesday. So I don't think he's going to be playing. So given that we have Marvin Jones as a very cheap number one receiver, so like 4,900, and he's coming in at low, you know, low in the context of this slate being under 30% feels low. Like I think Marvin Jones at 4,900, he at 30% is probably one of the better receiver plays of the slate, given his his price, really. Is that, like, how many number one receivers on the slate can you find at that price? I mean, Tampa Bay's number two and three receiver are going to be, as is a, yeah, more expensive than him. So Marvin Jones will have a ton of, I think you can even play DeAndre Swift in your Stafford lineups because, like, we know DeAndre Swift has a very solid receiving role. And if they go out and put up, if they somehow put up four touchdowns, sure, it's not incredibly likely, but if they do that and they split them 3-1, you're likely seeing Stafford and DeAndre Swift make the optimal lineup. So I'm going to have a lot of Detroit ownership. I think maybe the more interesting question is where do you run it back with? You're going to be running it back. But on the other side, it is much more ambiguous. I feel Marvin Jones is the lock number one. TJ Hawkinson doesn't give up. Maybe like we'll find a random Jesse James, maybe. I think that's their backup. Random Jesse James touchdown seems incredibly unlikely. Hawkinson has dominated the work as far as tight ends go. And Swift has generally, in recent weeks, pushed for that number one role since coming back. The other side is is more exciting from a points perspective and 10 times more difficult to figure out. Yeah, I think uh, just trying to find him on uh, on our on my list there. Uh, Jesse James, I'll give away the projection on him. 1.57 fantasy point projection from Alex Baker. So, uh, yeah, not expecting much there, but you never know. He, uh, he grabs that, uh, that uh, one target for a touchdown. Uh, but you mentioned Swift in the passing game. Uh, I do like that call. Uh, each of the last four games he's played, uh, he's received five targets. So they definitely do look his way in the passing game. And I agree. If they if they put up a big game, put up a three, four touchdown game, he's got the upside. So uh, definitely a guy I think wouldn't be shying away from including him in groups in fantasy cruncher or anything like that. Um, as far, yeah, as far as the run back, it does become an issue of which one of these guys are we going to take from Tampa and, you know, where are we going to find any kind of leverage with this offense or where are we going to find a low on guy? They're all coming in around the same. They're all coming in around, uh, you know, the same pricing even. So it's difficult to really figure out which one of these guys I want to get to. 
Um, you know, you were talking mostly on uh, DK pricing. The FanDuel pricing on them is interesting as well. You know, you've got a big group of guys there, and you don't get a lot of relief with Marvin Jones on uh, the FanDuel side. He's right in line. Chris Godwin, 7,200. Marvin's right behind him at 6,800. So there's some savings, but it's not nearly as uh, significant as over on DK. So creates an interesting situation over on FanDuel. Yeah, I think the maybe my one lean as far as the Tampa Bay guys go is that since I believe it's week nine, we had Antonio Brown come back. Brown has a higher target share and a higher air yard share than Chris Godwin, but Antonio Brown, well, Antonio Brown is cheaper, but then you look at the, the ownership and we have Chris Godwin project. Like I get it. Chris Godwin has a longer standing track record on this Tampa Bay team as almost like last year, he basically was the number one receiver and he was performing decent early in the season. He was pushing Mike Evans to the fringes, but we we're starting to get a growing sample size that despite, even if Antonio Brown ends up running less routes, playing less snaps, he just has an ability to draw targets, and those targets seem to be coming at the expense of Chris Godwin because Mike Evans, I do, I do believe, has the most targets in air yards since Antonio Brown joined the team. I, w- I would be saying, you know, you can play Chris Godwin at lowered ownership if that were the case, but people don't seem to be adjusting as much as I think they should to this split where Antonio Brown, at least in terms of the volume metrics, is the number two receiver. So as, as far as leans go, it's going to be difficult to predict these guys, no doubt about it but the volume is slightly pointing to the Chris Godwin direction and ownership is just not adjusting. Yeah. It's, it seems like, I think it's just people buying into, or just, you know, thinking narrative wise, okay, Godwin's the star. He's going to get the volume and not actually looking at the numbers and saying, okay, Antonio Brown problem child, just coming back. Like, well, he's been with the team for a few weeks now and we're seeing him get the volume. You kind of have to follow where things are actually going. So it's, you know, it's, it's a good habit to get into in DFS in general, just get those narratives out of your head. It's not something to really think about uh, and pay attention to what the numbers are actually telling us. And in this case, just looking at week 15, Godwin was out targeted by Evans, Gronk and Brown. They each got seven. He only got five targets. Lenny Fournette got five targets. I mean, it's the volumes reduced. And like you said, the ownership discount isn't coming. So yeah, it might make sense to look to Brown. Um, Anything for you with uh, with Gronk at the tight end position? Uh, any you know desire to get to him as uh, as a tight end play? Do you think there's any uh, advantage going to him over Hawkinson, or is it just kind of a distribution thing for you? Yeah, I think he's he's fine. It's just uh, with someone like Gronk, like you said, it's been unpredictable as to who who it is. Sometimes he'll target Chris Godwin. Sometimes maybe he goes out and gets one target and doesn't. Well, I think he had a one target or at least a one catch, one touchdown game a few weeks ago. So in my Tom Brady lineups, which I'll probably have a decent amount of because I think this is the game that is going most underowned relative to the incredible upside of it. I'll probably have some Gronk. I'm not making like a strident point to get to him though. Interestingly, I think over the past, uh, what would it be, eight or so, seven or six weeks, whenever Antonio Brown joined the team, he has like the second highest ADOT among the notable pass catchers, you know, ruling out Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. So as far as tight ends go, he probably does have a decent amount of like splash play upside, given that like deep targets are, are generally where a lot of good upside plays come from. So so maybe, uh, you know, I'm talking myself into Gronk just a little bit more than uh, than I initially started off feeling about him. Yeah, it's actually a good call. Just looking at it, uh, he's trailing. Uh, he's ten point eight a dot on the season. It looks like, uh, which is just behind uh, Evans is eleven point eight, and then you get, you know, Scotty Miller. But uh, you know, who, who's really playing Scotty Miller? Uh, and then you drop down to Antonio Brown is nine five, Godwin eight four. So yeah, he's getting those deep targets. So you know, you know, maybe it's another one where narrative wise, people think all right, tight end and and Gronk maybe a little bit touchdown dependent, but not necessarily. And against an off against the defense that definitely yields some passing yards. So definitely an interesting spot there. Uh, I think we can get to that. 
on the ground for Tampa. Uh, we mentioned Ronald Jones most likely not playing. What do you want to do with Lenny Fournette? I think he's going to probably draw some ownership. Um, he was coming up like crazy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For me and crunches. Uh, so I'm really curious what you think of Lenny Fournette with, uh, about his opportunity. He's got a good projection from Alex, so uh, he was definitely popping for me. I think Leonard Fournette is one of those players where, like, obviously we like. I don't think many people these this day and age really like Leonard Fournette as a player. But you said it's the opportunity and the projection. Like, of course, I think Leonard Fournette is some big, slow, bumbling running back. But I don't really care if he's going to go out and get the opportunities. He's going to get the goal line work. He was used as a pass catcher basically throughout the season until he got healthy scratched. And you said, like, we can easily see him come back and function as that pass catcher, as the goal line back, and it's mostly between the tackles back again. So I think because his ownership is going to be, you know, pretty, you know, relatively high for a small slate, I would be focusing on maybe building some more unique lineups around a Leonard Fournette, given that I don't love him. He's fine, but I don't love him. I think maybe if, say, you were playing a different game, you were stacking a different game, running him with like a, a Danny Amendola or something arguably weird like that would be a really interesting approach to playing, you know, chalky-ish Leonard Fournette. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think we covered a lot of this game. Uh, anything that we missed, anybody that we want to bring up that uh, we didn't talk about? Uh, one just oddball one since I just saw his name that popped into my head just now. If you're running 150 lineups in the gigantic, you know, $3 tournament or whatever it is on uh, FanDuel DraftKings, the big Millie makers, any thought toward the value in playing a Chase Daniel lineup? I don't think so. I, I think I would be because not only do you have to get like you have to get a lot of things right. Me and Greg talked about this on the I think it was on some random showdown slate. You have to get so many things right. Like one, Stafford has to get injured. I, obviously, if Chase Daniel ends up getting the start, sure, I'd consider it. But assuming yep, Chase yep. Daniel is just the backup, Stafford has to get injured. He has to get injured early enough that you actually get enough, like just enough opportunities for Daniel. Daniel comes in the fourth quarter, even if he throws a touchdown, it will not matter. Someone will outscore him even on a points per dollar basis. So you have to get injured. You have to get injured at the right time. Then he has to come in and play well and even play well adjusted for the fact that he has to beat out guys, you know, at least on a points per dollar basis, guys like, you know, Brady and Kyler Murray on this slate. Like, I think we have good options. So I think you are parlaying so many unlikely outcomes that although I'm sure it will be fairly unique and that's something you probably need to strive for in the big tournaments is just not getting duped. I don't think it's plus EV. I think it is such small odds of happening that even, you know, it just doesn't account for the fact that, uh, that it's so small odds of happening. It's not worth it. You know, there is yeah. certainly some potential upside. Obviously we talked about it after the Marcus Mariota thing. So obviously there is a theoretical upside to place chain to playing chase Daniel I don't think it's worth chasing to, to you know, use that word. Yeah. Oh, let's see what you did there. Yeah, it, look, if Stafford trips over the 50-yard line at the coin toss and uh, hurts himself and is out of the game to start, yeah, and then maybe there's he catches a little upside. But I'm with you. Even showdown slate-wise, I don't get into the the chasing backup QB, you know, stories. Even when somebody's banged up like, coming in like Stafford is, there's just too, too many things you need to go right, like you were saying. And there's just – even if the guy does get in the game, you 
almost never get it with enough time for him to rack up enough points to matter. So totally with you there. Anything else for this one before we uh, jump out and uh, head over to the next game? I kind of like Danny Amendola, you know, four targets last week, seven targets, five, three, 10 targets before that. He has a, a modestly interesting role when Kenny Galladay is out. I mean, a lot of games over like 50 and 60 yards, two weeks ago, 66, the week before that, 62, two weeks before that, 77. He has not scored yet this season, uh, this season. So, I mean, you're drawing, I don't, I won't say you're drawing dead. It seems like of all players who get a, a certain amount of volume, Given his volume, he would be less likely to score touchdowns, probably just a usage thing. But, I mean, he's getting enough volume that if he does post that four for 60 and does find the end zone, you have to imagine he's in the optimal lineup. So I'll probably be over the field on Danny Omendola because it doesn't take a lot to get there. like that call a lot, actually. And Yeah, just looking at him projection-wise, he's certainly not, you know, at the top of the uh, the projection list. He's 13th by projection. But you're right. He's getting the volume. He is not expensive. He is not going to be very highly owned, just looking at the ownership numbers. So, yeah, that's that's a good call for uh, for GPP. So I like that a lot. All right, moving on, uh, guys. We've got a uh, big promo. Uh, everybody, I think, is aware that the NBA season is back. Uh, if you're not aware, there's a massive 13-game slate tonight. So, uh, as you know, we've got the best content out there, and we're running a big promo. So uh, we're offering a dollar off, one dollar NBA access, not a dollar off, one dollar period through December 29th for new members only. Uh, when you use promo code Caruso, this gives you access to NBA preseason DFS premium Slack. Gives you everything we have to offer for the first week of the regular season, uh, including our projections, our ownership projections, access to the Boom Bus tool, the expert Slack, our lineup builder, a whole lot of content for a buck. If you guys get in here, you're going to see the value, and I would think that you're going to end up uh, sticking with us going forward. So take advantage. Get in before the 29th. You get a week for a dollar. I think you're really going to like what you see on these uh, NBA projections and everything. So come join us. Say hi to us in Slack. We're all hanging out. We love answering questions and chatting with people, too. So come join us. Now, moving on, uh, we've got uh, San Francisco at Arizona in the afternoon. Arizona coming in as five-point favorites, uh, 48.5-point total is the last I saw. 22-and-a-quarter-point uh, uh, implied total for San Fran, 26-and-a-quarter for Arizona. A little bit of a tight game. Uh, Arizona, very, very good offense going up against a reasonably good San Francisco defense. Uh, the fifth in terms of uh, yards uh, per attempt on, in the, to the rush, uh, 3.9 yards per attempt rushing. Uh, eighth allowing uh, 6.5 yards per attempt passing. So decent uh, spot uh, for a good offense going up against a decent decent defense. On the other side of things, Arizona 18th with a 4.4 uh, yards per attempt to rush, but sixth against the pass, uh, 6.3 yards per attempt. San Francisco very, very banged up on offense. So 50,000 foot view wise, uh, any thoughts just coming into this one before we dig into uh, injuries, player stuff? Yeah, so this game is the one that I think will probably be most popular for one obvious reason. It features Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. There aren't like a, you know, a bevy of studs to play on this slate. So when you're looking at paying up for someone, you're probably landing on a lot of a lot of Murray and a lot of Hopkins. I believe Hopkins is our highest owned player on the slate. Murray is definitely our highest owned quarterback. I think if you are getting into this game, it's about how do you get unique? Like, I don't feel like, like if I'm playing a Stafford stack, I don't have to get anything weird. I'll play as number one receiver and Marvin Jones. And that's going to be the lowest, one of the lowest owned stacks. Maybe it's not as low owned as a CJ Beathard stack, but it'll be one of the lower owned stacks on this slate. 
if you're playing Kyler Murray, well, you're playing Kyler Murray, you're playing DeAndre Hopkins. And then because you have spent so much money on those guys, you're probably playing the obvious cheap plays. So it's about how can you find a way to build a unique Kyler Murray lineup? And I do think there are ways to do that. Yeah. And that gets into, you know, some interesting things about just lineup building and, uh, and how it comes together when you, when you follow the chalk on some of those decisions at, you know, who am I stacking? Where's my primary, where's my quarterback coming from? Who's my primary skill player, especially on a short slate like this with, you know, kind of a dearth of options. It really leads you down very specific paths and very specific constructions. And you're going to end up with some dupe lineups, uh, particularly in those large field GPPs where there's just so many entries, people are covering every possibility across these games. If you go, if you make that decision, you have to get creative about how, you're differentiating your lineup, but at the same time, we kind of hit on it with uh, the question about Chase Daniel. You don't want to get stupid about it. You don't want to throw something in there. That's just a total dart throw and 19 different things have to go completely right. And you're threading the needle completely for it to happen. You want to find that happy medium. So any plays jumping out at you as we, uh, as we get into this game that might kind of fit that bill. I think the the backup or the not number one receivers on San Francisco are a little interesting. Like, I I think you're going to get skewed Kendrick Bourne ownership, at least relative to Richie James, who saw more targets than I believe it was like seven to four last week because Bourne brought down a Hail Mary. I was watching that game. and It was a meaningless Hail Mary, too. The game was already over and Bourne secures a Hail Mary that put him at like four for 80 and a touchdown. I would prefer Richie James because our ownership right now has him way lower owned, like, you know, seven or so percent lower owned. I think they're about equal plays, but if they're all things equal, I'll take the guy who's lower owned. I think really that's the way to get unique though, is because like, let's find Jordan Reed's ownership is not that bad. It's not very high at all. So I think it's hard to get unique with Kyler Murray specifically because he throws to one guy so much and almost no one else. You can throw in some Dan Arnold, sure. You can throw in Larry Fitzgerald, but I think it's like you said, it's about finding that medium of things that are, more likely to happen than their ownership indicates essentially is, is just the it's hard to gauge but that's what you have to try and find is things that will just pay off better than the risk you take i think the san francisco side is probably where you find that happy medium right makes a lot of sense and then uh you know is san francisco as you mentioned you know there's a lot of uh guys coming in there they're a little bit banged up uh, well, they're a lot banged up, actually. Uh, we've got Mullins out. He's going to need Tommy John surgery. Debo's still out. Mostert's going to be out now. Richie James was limited in practice. He was a guy you just mentioned as a potential uh, oh. play. So we got to keep an eye on him coming in. I uh, saw that note before we jumped on. So, you know, with Mostert out, with question marks in the passing game, could it be Jeff Wilson week? Is that something that the, is on your radar at all? And uh, if so, how much of them do you want as relative to decent ownership in the field? Yeah, so I'm looking at DraftKings ownership. I think his ownership is right in the same ballpark as, as someone like Leonard Fournette. I know that like San Francisco is the stereotypical running team, and then Tampa Bay is one of the past heaviest teams. But what I'm looking for with my running backs is the ability to score touchdowns. I mean, obviously, touchdowns are hard to predict, but we can use Vegas lines and figure out which team is projected to score more points. San Francisco, not projected to score a lot of points, unsurprisingly, with C.J. Beathard under center. So I think there is some efficacy to fading someone like Jeff Wilson, just because, like, you know, especially for most running backs when they don't have a ton of pass-catching equity, you're just banking on touchdowns. And, I like, honestly, Jeff Wilson could be a better running back than Leonard Fournette. Would not surprise me. <laughs> But it's difficult when I don't think they're going to score many touchdowns and I see that he's like reasonably priced at 6K and a third of the field is going to be on him. And this is our DraftKings. Uh, that's actually for Fandom. I think DraftKings is right there as well. Like, yeah, right around give, the same. 
given those those circumstances, if he doesn't find the end zone, I'm probably winning my Jeff Wilson fade. And given that they're not projected to score a ton of points, I don't think he's incredibly likely to find the end zone. So I think I'd probably rather look to the pass catchers who don't necessarily, especially the cheaper ones or someone like Jordan Reed, they don't need to find the end zone. If no tight end scores a touchdown in the slate, Jordan Reed could easily lead them with six for 60 or something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting point. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, given that we only have a limited amount of guys to choose from at a position like tight end, you don't need that touchdown play. So yeah, looking for that yardage makes a lot of sense there. Uh, and what you said about Wilson as well, you know, yeah, every note that I read around the industry about him always mentions, and he is the guy who's going to burst the ball over the goal line uh, when you get all the red zone touches. Sure. But if CJ Beathard's not getting them in the red zone and they're playing <laughs> on the other, you know, just back and forth in the neutral zone, there's not going to be much going on, not much opportunity for him there. So yeah, I agree. It, it kind of makes some sense to get away from Jeff Wilson. And I think he's a guy that might get talked up because of that, just the touchdown upside being there in people's heads. So I think we could see that in that ownership actually increase, which would make me more inclined to get off of it. Um, just thinking in terms of, you know, another guy who n- would need to break one really uh, to score a touchdown, but would come at a massive ownership discount and a, uh, and a you know reasonable pricing discount would be Tevin Coleman on the ground in that offense. He's got the same issue as far as what that offense is going to be doing, but kind of a dynamic guy, catch the ball out of the backfield, maybe break one. Any love for him more as like a 150 lineups in a massive GPP kind of a play? Yeah, I think especially when you think about the largest tournaments, like if you're playing, you know, whatever the, the like Millie type tournament is, or even the like the $3.20 max or the $1.20 max, you're going to get a lot of duplicated lineups. Like you simply just can't run even like my Stafford stacks. I still probably need to make one or two other unique plays. I think Tevin Coleman is fine fine as that kind of play if you have him in one of 20 lineups or two of 20 lineups because no one is playing him. And like Shanahan is infamously, infamously famous. I think he's just infamous for never giving one single running back a ton of the work. It's possible. Is it likely? No. But is it possible that Tevin Coleman goes out and scores a touchdown? Yeah, sure. I think it's absolutely possible. And the ownership essentially says there is zero chance. I mean, it says there's like a 99.9% chance that doesn't happen. So in the large field tournaments, I'm fine with one or two shots on a Tevin Coleman. He falls into like the same tier as like a a Dan Arnold type where sure, anything can happen. And the field seems to think there is no potential for it to happen. Yeah. And that's what I like the most by far about it is just not anybody else being on it or, or, you know, very limited amounts of people being on it. So yeah, that's a play. And again, you mentioned it. Yeah. One or two of those lineups, you don't want to put them, you don't want to say, all right, Tevin Coleman's my uh, weird random play and put him in 20 of 20 lineups. That's not how this works. So got to be safe about that. Um, looking around on uh, Arizona, you mentioned uh, the passing game a little bit. Uh, you know, we know that the ball is going to Hopkins uh, quite a bit. Anybody else in that passing game? You touched on Larry Fitz. Uh, he was a bit banged up in practice as well. Uh, you touched on Dan Arnold. Is that basically the long and short of that passing game? Uh, and then, you know, anything on the ground? And we've got uh, Chase Edmonds kind of ties those two questions together. So what do you think in terms of the Arizona offense? I think Christian Kirk at a low price, uh, looking at DK price, 3,800, less than 15% ownership. Like, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins projects too vastly out-target Christian Kirk, but Christian Kirk does, like, have a decently high ADOT in the context of this being mostly the horizontal air raid. So there's a chance. Like, what, he had the two-catch, 80-some-yard multi-touchdown game in the middle of the season, and no one was on him then. I think given that, uh, you know, 15% on the context of having three games to choose from is, you know, close enough to no one being on. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Him, that if you're playing Kyler Murray, he does make a certain amount of sense. I'm not sure. I mean, you can do it. I'd probably be more inclined to play him specifically with Kyler Murray because if he goes off, it's probably a big game. Like, I, I like not for sure, but if he goes off, I think his range of outcomes is sort of, you know, quote, bimodal. It's, it's a very bad game or he breaks one to two long ones. That's probably very beneficial for Kyler Murray. So I think I'd probably be most likely to play him in Murray lineups. Other than that, uh, this passing game is rough. I don't, it's really difficult to play Larry Fitzgerald. He's going to be unpopular, which is the argument you make for him. But I think his, his ownership is closer to efficient than someone like Kirk's is. Chase Edmonds, uh, man, I, I hope he plays. I think he was either limited or like out of practice today or yesterday. Yeah. I, I really hope he ends up playing because we saw last week, he finally, I believe he outcarried Kenyon Drake. It was like they finally gave up they they split like 11 to 10 but they finally gave up on Kenyon drake as this bell cow and we still have drake at a higher price and higher ownership i like we have a, a one game sample that says that might not be the case at all that chase edmonds could end up being the lead back if i think there is even a 20 to 30 percent chance that chase edmonds is the lead back i'd be interested in him then you tell me people are still treating Kenyon drake as the lead back i think chase edmonds would be like the i deal leverage play on this slate if he plays and you know obviously if he doesn't play Kenyon Drake looks like a solid play in his own right but if they both suit up Chase Edmonds as the potential to get all the passing work out of the backfield and a majority of the rushing work out of the two running backs that would be I'd be playing a ton of him I'd be an egregious amount of Chase Edmonds yeah same same I think that's one of the bigger inflection points on the slate is whether or not he goes uh because I I agree I think that was kind of a sign last week him despite being questionable coming in out touching Drake uh, and just, you know, he, he's been targeted in the, uh, in the passing game all season long, uh, averaging four and a half targets, basically 4.4 targets, seeing five targets each of the last four games. So there, he's a guy they look to out of the backfield. He's a guy I don't mind pairing uh, even with Murray. Um, so, you know, is, and you touched on some of the other guys in the passing game. Uh, I would rather get to probably Chase Edmonds and Murray rather than a Larry Fitz and Murray. Yep. But I think I'd rather go Christian Kirk and Murray maybe to start out. Um, and that would tend to be my answer too for when people ask about uh, running Kyler Murray naked without anybody stacking. In a spot like this where there's not as many people on his secondary and tertiary options and everybody's so focused on Hopkins, it kind of ties back to that uh, thing we were talking about before where it narrows your path to choose Murray and Hopkins right out of the gate for what you can do overall. So you immediately differentiate your lineup. If you're saying, 
all right, let's go with Murray and Kirk. Let's go with Murray and Larry Fitz. Uh, let's go with Murray and one of these other guys. You're immediately starting your path a little bit differently. So hopefully you're opening up a broader spectrum of different lineups that you can get to. So I think that makes a lot of sense for people looking uh, at Murray and maybe thinking about Murray naked, maybe go to some of those different ones. With that in mind, though, on a short slate like this, would you run lineups with just Kyler Murray and none of his skill players? I don't think so. I, I think given his price at 7,500, you are really mandating that he gets there through the air and the ground, frankly, or he really gets there through the air. And because of that, like if he was, uh, for, for whatever reason, if DraftKings messed up and priced him at, uh, you know, 5K, I would say he can throw zero touchdowns and 50 yards and probably still rush for enough. His price mandates that, you know, if you are paying up for Kyler Murray and you are correct that he's worth paying up for, You've probably pushed 250 yards and at least a passing touchdown. I think you probably need to capture that touchdown with someone. I do really like the idea of pairing him with Chase Edmonds, though, because he said back to back to back to back games of five targets. And he's like he's gotten some work like in the red zone as a pass catcher as well. I think in the first few weeks, he's still a receiving touchdown from Kenyon Drake. I, I think it's not like the ideal pairing, but honestly, I agree with you. I think he is a better pairing than Larry Fitzgerald. So, uh, the big question, you mentioned it earlier, C.J. Beathard. Going to be in for poor uh, Mullins, who, uh, like I mentioned, is uh, out getting Tommy John surgery at this point. Uh, not something you hear about a ton for uh, quarterbacks, but uh, that's going to be a tough one for him to come back from, I think. But uh, any love for Beathard here? It looks like he's trending under 5% ownership on FanDuel. Uh, don't have the DK ownership. Around 5% here. as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Are you going to get to him? Are you going to reserve him for only some of the bigger tournaments and, you know, the big 150 lineup slates and play small shares of them? What are you, what are you thinking about him? I don't know yet. I, I actually think I might have a little bit of CJ Beathard as a way to attack the, the like popularity of this game in a different way, especially if his ownership is, is that low, given that we have six quarterbacks to choose from. I actually think I might get to a little bit of C.J. Beathard. He's cheap. He allows me to play. Like, I, I could play a C.J. Beathard. You can play the chalk by playing C.J. Beathard, essentially. You can play C.J. Beathard plus Brandon Ayuk plus DeAndre Hopkins, two of the most popular plays on the slate in the same game that everyone's going to have. If you're playing C.J. Beathard, you've correlated yourself with Ayuk and Hopkins to an extent, but you've done it in a way that no one wants to go to. I, I actually probably, I, I think I will maybe have a little bit of C.J. Beathard. Yeah, this is, I, I haven't done much at, uh, and crunching. I didn't, you know, I didn't force anything. I didn't put any of my usual tweaks or anything like that in there. So uh, just looking what it, where I got to him, it was around 3% on FanDuel. And this is with Alex's projections, 3% on DK. So he was coming up, that's across 300 lineups. So mm -hmm. based on just a pure fantasy cruncher, he was coming up a little bit under the field. But based on everything that I would do in my process, I think that I would end up reasonably over the field on it. Not somebody, you know, I'm not going to have 50% of my lineups be C.J. Beathard stacks. But, you know, if he's going off around five or a little lower than five, could I be at 10? Could I be a little higher yep. than 10? Certainly. Uh, and I do think that's, like you said, it's a good way to attack this game. It's a good way to attack the slate, just being very different. And you don't need a ton from him at the price. He's got an okay projection from Alex. He's not, like, tragically projected where, uh, you know, he's got a five-point uh, fantasy point projection or anything. So... I think when the top stacks come out for this, uh, assuming that we see it, I think it's going to be one of those spots where, yeah, San Fran's probably going to be at the bottom of the list, but I think his their probability of success might be a little bit higher than where we're seeing them on. So I think it's definitely a team that I'm going to pay a little bit of attention to from that regard. 
and you know, maybe get into a little bit of, uh, of building with them just to see how everything else comes together. Uh, and like you mentioned, you can play this, the truck from this game and then you can get into some of the truck from the other games as well if you're, if you're starting out on that foot. Uh, so definitely a, a, at least an interesting way to build lineup for this slate. Anything yeah, I, else from this one? Oh, go yeah, it's like you said, they seem like a team that would come in as like a 9% top stack probability and a 5% ownership. Like there's small edges to be had there. And that's what I'm hunting for is these small edges that if on the one out of almost, less, you know, a little less than 10 times this game is played out and Bethard rushes one in and throws for one or, you know, tops a 300 yard bonus, even in garbage time, I, I benefit disproportionately. I think that's more likely. So yeah, outside of that, not a ton. I, I think we covered pretty much everything else in this game. We could throw in the defenses. Uh, the Cardinals defense probably going to be among the most popular. I don't know. I, 49ers, I think if they were a little lower owned, if they were in that 5% range, I'd be interested just as like the ultimate leverage play, but nah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I actually hadn't even, uh, thinking about defense but that's a a good call i for three games slate i think i you know i should probably have to think about it a little bit more than i have so far uh, of course but uh yeah typically for defense for me uh you know on the uh, main slates it's uh, i take what i get uh in fantasy cruncher price wise yes i'm always looking for and uh, you know trying to push a little bit the the better spots and the better d but uh yeah just taking a peek at uh what our ownership looks like definitely looks like people are focused on the cards and the bucks uh the the two uh you know kind of uh, well, standout spot for the cards and then uh, standout D for the Bucks. The Dolphins could be interesting uh, in that defense uh, as well. Kind of a bend-don't-break uh, defense there that we'll get into in a sec. So uh, it makes sense. Anything else from this one uh, to touch on before we move on? I think we covered pretty much all the bases. Uh, I guess I could throw it back to you. I don't think you gave any stance on Dan Arnold. I kind of like him in the same way that I sort of like the Danny Amendola He's not getting a ton of snaps, but he's had a decent amount of targets. He's at like 9.9 yards per target. He looks like a big playmaker that rarely ever gets the chance to make plays. I think in these giant tournaments, sure, he has a chance to not outscore someone like Darren Waller. But if Darren Waller goes out and doesn't score a touchdown and any other tight end does, that other tight end will be very close to outscoring him on a raw points basis, let alone a points per dollar basis. For sure. And Arnold is one of those guys, like you said, uh, he, we've seen, you know, some flashes of it through the year. He's a guy that I've been getting to in my stacks with, uh, with Murray a decent amount. Uh, so five targets last week for the week before he, he's a handful of targets a week, kind of a guy with that, uh, with that upside. And like you said, if he gets into the end zone, whichever one of these tight ends gets into the end zone, who's not named Waller, like you said, is going to be a difference maker. Uh, so another major inflection point. So yeah, I, both tight ends from this game, I think are in play uh, as far as Arnold and uh, Jordan Reed from the other side and neither one drawing very much ownership at all. So uh, definitely we're going to be rolling those dice on finding that touchdown, but uh, it's a good way to differentiate lineups and, uh, and, just start building differently so makes a lot of sense and a lot of sense for uh, those big gpps and so moving on uh guys before we jump into uh, the next game got another one uh, coming for you at awesome nba tied into the nba season of course that's our nba twitter handle we're looking to get to 10,000 followers on our nba twitter handle so get over there twitter is crucial for playing NBA DFS. That's where all the news comes from. We've got our news got on top of everything, but uh, it's just absolutely crucial to be on Twitter. So give the awesome NBA uh, follow, uh, handle a follow over there. Stay up to date with all the latest NBA DFS news and uh, all of our NBA content. Guys are constantly uh, sending out all the links to all the new articles as they pop up, all the new tools, anything we're featuring. Uh, like this week, we've had uh, Adam's uh, deep dive, uh, formerly premium content behind the paywall, 
on a 13 game slate like today, that is a ridiculous piece of content to have for free. Adam goes deeper than anybody in the industry when he does those. So that's free in front of the paywall right now. Uh, I would get on that, but things like that are going out constantly on at awesome NBA over on Twitter. So get over there, give it a follow and help us out a little bit. Jumping into the next game, last game of the day, the evening affair. Miami at Las Vegas. We've got Miami coming in as a three-point favorite, 48-point total, uh, 25.5-point implied total for Miami, 22.5 implied total for Las Vegas. Uh, I mentioned Miami's coming in with a bit of a bend-don't-break defense, uh, allowing 4.6 yards per rush attempt, 28th in the league, 7 yards per pass attempt, 24th in the league, but they've given up the fewest points in the NFL. On the other side of this one, Vegas – 4.6 yards per rush attempt, 7.2 yards per pass attempt, giving up the fourth most points in the NFL. 50,000-foot view on this one before we get into players and injuries and all that stuff. Where do you come down as far as uh, what you like on this this, uh, game sides-wise? This game is fine. I don't know. I think it's it's interesting that we're going to get a ton of ownership on someone like Darren Waller, who obviously is the best tight end. But his team isn't projected to score a ton of points. Osmo's projections don't have him as like this outstanding value. So I think that, honestly, I think this is one of the biggest decisions of the slate is what do you do with Darren Waller? We can talk about him more in a little bit, but I do think at a 10,000 foot view or whatever, you see this giant uh, summit that is the the peak of tight endmanship in Darren Waller. And it's, do you try and, you know, do you try and get onto that or do you gamble and play someone else? I think that's like one of the biggest crux to the slate. Is that tight endsmanship? That you just threw in there, I like. That. Yeah, I was I was riffing uh, riffing something there, and uh, I like that word. I, I think I've coined a good word. Yeah, solid, definitely solid. We were, Emac was looking for some uh, catchphrases earlier in the year, so I think we'll throw that one over to Emac. See if it catches on. Uh, just looking, yeah, at the tight end spot, uh, you know, Waller is going to be a huge, huge point for the uh, for the uh, overall slate. And then on the other side of this one, we've got Kaziki, who is. I'm not going to say Waller's equal in terms of skill by any means, but certainly, you know, kind of carving out a place as a, as a good pass catching tight end, a guy with some offensive upside for DFS, drawing a little bit of ownership as well. Uh, Banged up coming into this one with a shoulder injury missed last week, kind of a question mark for this one. If he doesn't go, do you think even more of that ownership flops over to Waller then? Do you think that's, or or people going to try and, you know, get to maybe a Gronk or a Hawkinson? Where do you think that goes if Gazicki doesn't go? And do you like Gesicki if he does go? Yeah, I do think it would be it, it maybe be split to a little bit of uh, of someone like Gronk in a similar price range, I believe. But I do think a lot of it would just be people would continue to basically buy certainty with Darren Waller because we can be certain as long as this game isn't uh, like a twenty point blowout for the for the Raiders who do run a lot when they have a lead. As long as that's not the case, Darren Waller will be the most targeted tight end on the slate. We can easily project that. I think people like buying into that certainty. So losing a certain asset in Mike Gusecki, who sort of similarly, it's like him and Hawkinson, we can actually feel kind of confident that they'll be the second and third most targeted players or tight ends to be specific. Losing an aspect of certainty on the slate, I think would push people towards a, a ton of Darren Waller, which I'm already uncomfortable with his ownership. And uh, if he does go, he's fine. I think he's good, not great. I think maybe the Gronk and Hawkinson would be my preferred place, but I would still end up having probably more Gusecki v. the field than Waller versus the field. Makes sense. Makes sense. And yeah, that's just for me, a play like Waller is something that I just see it on paper and I haven't dug in a ton to the specifics of what I'm going to do with my lineups, like I said before, but just on the surface level, a, a you know one spot, a, a one player position like that, 
it's just an easy spot to start getting different with, uh, with that decision. So that's definitely one of my first inclinations with this slate is, all right, what do I want to do different rather than play Darren Waller? He's a fantastic player. Uh, he's, you know, one of the best tight ends in the league. Best point projection on the slate, but like you mentioned, points per dollar wise, it's not that differentiated from what Hawkinson is doing, uh, or uh, points raw points rather in the projection, and then points per dollar, you're right there. So I think there are other ways to go with that position to a degree that yeah, I'm probably going to be under the field on uh, on Waller. Uh, as we look at some of the injuries, uh, we've got uh, Gaskins, I, I think, definitely going to be out again. Uh, we've got Kaziki limited, we mentioned. Uh, Parker limited, uh, Devontae Parker limited with a hamstring. Jakeem Grant limited with, uh, I believe, also a hamstring injury. So passing game-wise, this Dolphins offense a little bit banged up for Tua. Um, any thoughts as far as what the impact is as, uh, to that passing game and what you want to do with it? Uh, does it you know, kind of force you away from that? Or are you still going to try and uh, you know, find some spots with this offense? I think it'll be interesting. So what this is uh, like time-wise, our last game of the slate, I assume we did these in chronological order. Uh, It will be really interesting to see if we got what we had last week where Jakeem Grant looked questionable, more likely not to play, but the, uh, like, I don't know if it was overnight reports or just practice reports that indicated that both Gasecki and Parker were going to play and all three of them get scratched. And I don't think we saw, especially in like small field contests or uh, like small uh, entry, because you've got typically uh, like sharp players have gotten played out of those. Essentially you can't play in those in like a $1.20 max, like, like the play action last week, even though like good players can play in that, just high rolling players can play in that. Tony Pollard last week was like 9% owned. He, that's egregious. That's horrible. And I think if we end up seeing like a very surprising amount of injuries that uh, like, say we expect Gasecki and Parker to play, if both of them get ruled out again, Durham Smythe and, and I think Lyndon Bowden and say Grant ends up being in or something like that. All of those guys would come in probably under owned. I just think the field is so they don't utilize late swap at all. People don't like no one utilizes late swap except like you, me, everyone in Osimo and the people who play DFS for a living or play it as part of their income. Anyone else does not take advantage of news that breaks after lock, even before lock. Like, you know, so I think that'd be the most interesting thing. If any news changes, I would almost instantly just go over the field on the guys that that like benefits. Yeah, and you hit right on the uh, the guys I was thinking of. You know, particularly Bowden was a guy that popped up a little bit for me last week in doing that. Uh, like I said, when uh, when we got the news on uh, Parker and on uh, Gazicki and on uh, on Grant, Bowden started popping in there a little bit. So uh, definitely was uh, was seeing some of that, and that's exactly where I would expect to go again this week if we do get that news. And it's something I'm kind of you know, maybe hoping for. I think it could shake the slate up a little bit and at least make things more interesting here and give us a few more plays that maybe people aren't on. I think that's another spot where people will flock more towards safety than toward these questionable players or players that they haven't really heard of, you know, down the depth chart type guys. Uh, I think people are just more inclined to go toward what they know, what they think is safe in that situation. Um, on the ground too, we've also got uh, Salvin Ahmed uh, as the projected lead back for uh, Miami with Gaffey going to miss. Not drawing a ton of ownership right now, uh, at least on FanDuel. He's only, uh, he's under 10%. Uh, is that a running back you would consider playing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the the ownership play like this is a game that I don't think is going to feature a ton of points. I don't think it's going to be an exciting cap to the end of the night. But when you look at the the volume we can project for Salvin Ahmed, it's it's really impressive. He's clearly a lead back 
back between the tackles and also does have some potential to draw a few targets. I think it just makes a, a ton of sense at his price, which doesn't have him as some crazy, like uh, egregious play and at his ownership, which is just it's in the context of the slate, it's non-existent. So I'm just typically looking for spots where I think, you know, I can buy potentially touchdowns with someone who just has a, you know, a good role in that sense or overall volume for someone like Ahmed, I could get 20 carries out of a guy who's not expensive and is not going to be owned. I just want to find plays that are far better projected than their ownership indicates. And this is one of the more glaring ones of the slate. Like maybe once, uh, you know, we get news that Gaskin is like officially out or something, this changes, but it would have to come up a lot for me to not be interested in Ahmed. Yeah, that that made my eyes pop out when I saw that ownership on him. I was expecting that to be much higher because I was just thinking of it in terms of Gaskin definitely being out. So when I saw that, it's not like he's going up against a, a really tough run defense or anything either. So that is a really good spot, in my opinion. And he's right around the same. I just pulled up the DK. He's right around the same mark over on DK as well. So definitely one of my preferred running back plays on the slate. Definitely a guy I'll get to in uh, large field tournaments, uh, you know, assuming the ownership holds or, like you said, doesn't go up to the 45, 35, 45% range. If he's coming in around like a, you know, 15, 16%, like a Chase Edmonds kind of a guy, those are two guys I really like. You pop both of those guys into your backfield and then you're doing different things right there. And you can play some of the chalk at wide out. You can play some of the chalk at tight end, get a Kyler Murray into your quarterback spot. You're doing different things. So I really like the upside of, uh, of a play like that. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's like, what's the difference between Salvin Ahmed and, and Kenyon Drake? I think almost nothing. Like, they got to be very similar plays. Maybe a Drake plays on a slightly better offense or whatever. That's that's fine. Give him a slight advantage there. But I have to imagine, even if this ownership clients, the discrepancy between the two is going to be far greater than I or you clearly would seem to believe it should be. So it's just like, if I can swap out a, a chalky Jeff Wilson for Salvin Ahmed or Chase Edmonds, another great example, I, I'm very, very often going to be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, we talked about the passing game a little bit, but I just wanted to pull up the targets from last week. Uh, we saw Bowden last week got seven, Smythe got five. Week before that, Bowden had nine. So, and that was with, uh, with that was with Kaziki and Parker on the field and, and Grant on the field. So, Bowden's definitely a guy who uh, you know could be involved in this offense a little bit more than uh, what people seem to think, at least right now. Uh, you know, not drawing another guy, not drawing very much uh, attention at all. Um, so, I'll be curious to see where they rank out uh, in terms of our uh, top stacks as well with this team. On the Vegas side of things, uh, we've got Carr is uh, banged up, uh, limited with a groin, but I think he's going to play. Uh, Jacobs was a full practice. Renfro was limited in practice. Um, anything jumping out at you as far as the uh, as far as the Raiders passing game outside of Darren Waller, who we kind of already covered. Yeah, I think Nelson Aguilar's ownership at his price seems kind of low. I mean, he's clearly the number one receiver. It sounds ugly knowing what we know about Nelson Aguilar's history with the Eagles, but he has been nothing but like a very solid playmaker for this team. Outside of Darren Waller, he's clearly been the second pass catching option, and he's only 4,500, sort of the Marvin Jones thing. He's cheap, he's the number one receiver, and the ownership is not coming in. I mean, we have him below 20%. I think he is, is the perfect leverage play off of someone like Darren Waller. If he goes out and ends a drive with a long touchdown, that's like two to three catches that could have gone Waller's way that instead all went on one single catch to someone like Nelson Aguilar. He's been scoring touchdowns at a crazy clip this year. And normally, if like people were buying into the fact that he's a touchdown scorer, he was at 45% owned. I'd be like, oh, well, if he doesn't score a touchdown, you're fine fading him. You know, that's a, a good spot. People aren't buying into any of his performances this year, despite having a ton of spiky upside. So I think just from a, a high level view, looking at the projection, the price, and the ownership, Nelson Aguilar seems to be like a very big mismatch, sort of like I talked about with Chase Edmonds, just the potential seems to be 
far higher than the price or ownership indicate. I like that call. He's a guy. I don't like the player. He's, I am uh, in that group of biased people. Uh, I'm a Giants fan. I saw, I see, you know, two Eagles games at least a year, uh, you know, direct watching the whole game. And then, uh, you know, what you saw him over the years, just red zone wise and everything. And yeah, guy who scares me putting him into my lineup, but uh, he's getting the deep targets. And you mentioned that is exactly what you want to look for uh, to go up and leverage against a guy like Waller is a guy who can cut a drive in half. Now they're not getting the same amount of plays. So just in terms of uh, the two extra targets, a handful of yards that now are off the board for Waller, not to mention the touchdown, of course. So that makes a lot of sense. He's a little, I play most of my action on FanDuel uh, and he's a little bit more owned over on FanDuel uh, despite not really, you know, being uh, cheaper or anything over there. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Uh, but he's in like the 25% range on FanDuel. Not something that's going to make it that much different of a play, but something to consider, uh, you know, maybe for uh, for the folks out there when they decide to make this play. Uh, anything else, any of these other pass catchers over there? Uh, if Renfro goes, do you like getting to any of him? Um, and then like a Zay Jones is kind of a dart throw, uh, a guy like that. You could play Zay Jones. I'm probably not playing Zay Jones. It's like it's like how many lineups would you have to build to get to him? Maybe he does fit somewhere in that 115. You know, he's like 148, 149. But nah, I'm probably not playing Zay Jones. Hunter Renfro, a little interesting. I mean, it was weird. They really didn't target anyone consistently last week outside of Nelson Aguilar and Darren Waller. And I mean, I guess that makes sense. Darren Waller draws a ton of targets, and Nelson Aguilar has also done that at a, at a pretty surprising clip. So maybe you bet on that uh, sort of bouncing back in the other direction where you don't see incredible target shares from one of those guys, and that puts you on someone like Renfro. I mean, what his ownership on DK is 8%. I'm checking on FanDuel. That seems efficient, though. I don't think he's got some incredible chance of, you know, scoring a touchdown or making a long play, but it's in, in the range of outcomes. I think ownership is efficient on him. Yeah, five-ish percent on uh, on FanDuel, but yeah, not somebody who's really popping off the page for me. It's uh, again three-game slate. It's a guy who will be part of the mix. Uh, certainly, will get pulled into some car stacks for me. So I'll be curious to see how much after I do my filtering process and everything I would actually get to him. Uh, but yeah, not one of my not one of my favorites on anything other than ownership there. Um, let's see, just looking around. So uh, we haven't really touched on uh, Josh Jacobs. You mentioned uh, other than you know they like to go to him when they get the lead. Is he somebody who's uh, in play for you very much? Uh, looks like one of the stronger projected running backs on the board in Alex's projections. Definitely is drawing some ownership and uh, you know has a uh, fairly heavy price tag. Yeah, so maybe uh, maybe people aren't getting on Jacobs simply because his team is an underdog, and it does make sense. You wouldn't want to target Jacobs as an underdog, but we know we know NFL spreads are fallible. They're very accurate accurate in the aggregate, but in an individual game, I don't know. The Jets could beat the Rams, so it would not be surprising to see the Raiders come out here and win this game. And in that case, it would probably negatively affect someone like Darren Waller and positively affect Josh Jacobs. So given that he's going to come in maybe a little bit lower on, I'm looking at DK. Let me see if I can pull up Vandal. Yeah, actually, I think Vandal also has him as lower owned. And it's maybe a a bit of a coin flip is too much to not enough credit Darren Waller, but it's not far off from a coin flip that the game script helps one of them and hurts the other one. I'd probably lean if I'm choosing one of these guys to go with Jacobs over Waller, Waller in a majority of my lineups. Oh, sorry. As you were concluding that sentence, it sounded like the window next to me was about to explode. So I don't know what's going on out there. Got some construction crews out there. A couple minutes left in the show here. Uh, just to wrap up, guys, we've got a big giveaway going on. Uh, check out the uh, pin tweet over on our awesome underscore dot com over on Twitter. Enter our NBA giveaway uh, to win a year of uh, awesome plus NBA. $400 value gives you access to everything awesome plus has to offer for NBA DFS. 
Just follow the instructions on the tweet. It's pretty easy. Predict the top DFS score on the slate. Uh, one random winner gets selected uh, from the current get from the correct guessers. Good luck. Uh, and again, we've got free deep dive from Adam Ship My Money Sharer. So uh, get on that 13 game slate. That's going to help you tremendously in making some decisions with this uh, with this slate tonight. Kyle, before we jump off, top quarterback, uh, well, top stack for you for the for uh, this slate. Who you, who you expect to get to the most as far as uh, your builds? I'll probably be getting to Stafford. I don't know about the most, but easily the most over the field. Like you, you look at uh, what the field will have versus what I'll have. I will be many X the field on Stafford because he plays in the best game. He has played well and his offense has played fine. And uh, I think it's quite obvious when you stack Stafford, there are like two or three options to stack him with. So if you correctly pin your money on Stafford, you've got like a one in three chance, whereas at least like when you look at stacking Tom Brady, like you have a one in like five or six chance of actually finding the right guy. Not that I won't have Brady. I just know that I probably have to make more Brady lineups to find the right combinations. I don't need many Stafford stacks to find the right combination. So I will have my bases certainly covered on him. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, definitely be getting there. And then, uh, you know, we talked about those wacky low on CJ Beathard. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I might get into that. Definitely not saying that's the top stack of the week, but just in terms of somewhere where I might be over the field on uh, on the stack, I think that uh, that could definitely be in play. So curious to see how it comes up as uh, things shape up for me. Uh, last couple of minutes here. Low on Saturday slate breaker. Let's go with Danny Amendola. I've already pinned my money on Stafford. I talked about the volume we've seen with Danny Amendola. If he can find that first touchdown of a season, I, like if he finds that first touchdown, I'm confident he will be in the optimal lineup because he's not highly priced. He'll be a good stack with Stafford if that ends up being the correct play. And like he's getting volume, which just hasn't converted to any like crazy game. So I think Danny Amendola has a far greater chance of being that player that no one saw coming than people expect. I like that call. <laughs> That's a good one. And that's, that's one I like that in particular because it's one that will melt the DFS community's brain because he hasn't scored all year. So it'll just be one of those, oh, of course, no Danny Amendola, no cash. Uh, for me, I'm thinking maybe that's Alvin Ahmed call. I haven't given it a ton of consideration, but I like where the ownership is at. If he can get the ball in the end zone once, twice, I think that could be a very big difference maker for us on this slate. So I like that one. Uh, and I think that's... Uh, good spot to, to get a little bit weird with your running back and then like I said I kind of like the idea of putting him and Chase Edmonds into a lineup and then you can get very uh, chalky with some of the rest of the stuff that you do so a couple differentiators there for me uh, I think that kind of wraps us up guys uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button uh, hit the like button give us a thumbs up out there subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite podcast networks come subscribe for a dollar for all our NBA content with the promo code Caruso Join us in Slack. Say hi. Got a bunch of good people cranking out good content every day. Good talking to you guys. Kyle, this was fun. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it, of course. Right now, open a new CQ checking account and we'll give you $250 to spend however you like. Upgrade those headphones, splurge on concert tickets, or maybe upgrade to ad-free streaming. The choice is yours. And extra cash isn't all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. All with CQ. Visit CQMD.org today. That's S-E-C-U-M-D.org today.